Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast, the US special, not a special about us, although there is a special edition to us in the form of Matt Perslow, our new news and entertainment writer. Hello, Matt. Hello, Joe. Um, We'll get back to you in a second because I've got to introduce Jesse Gomez as well. Hey there, it's me again. You're not the newest member of the team anymore. Yeah, How do you I know, feel? but I'm still the youngest. So no, I'm quite happy. don't care. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, every time a new person joins the podcast, we ask them four questions. I have you... heard of this ritual. Have you? Yes. All right. Literally I... heard. It's... I hope you're ready for it then. What's your favourite game? Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. A very recent addition to the canon, but yeah. Fair play. That's a good choice. What, um, what made you love it quite so much so quickly? I mean, yeah, it is effectively it. So I love tabletop RPGs. Mm-hmm. I am that kind of nerd. So <laughs> so being able to go into So if anybody doesn't know what Original Sin 2 is, it's basically it's a massive isometric RPG in the tradition of old 1990s Baldur's Gate stuff. But it pretty much caters to every form of RPG play style. So, for example, one of my favorite points is that you can choose to play an undead character. Everybody is terrified of undead people because they're just living skeletons. So put a bucket on his head, everybody's fine. because they, they can't see the skull. So it's just like, here, I can wander through the streets. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's full of that kind of mad reactivity, and that's the base kind of line. That's you, cool. You can eat people to get their memories, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Yep, so like uh, what my kind of player character in that, because you can choose from a selection of player characters that all have specific backgrounds, that right. all have their own quest lines with them. And so one of them is Sabile, who is effectively like Arya Stark, but for oh. the Divinity Universe, she has a list of names, and she's going to go and tick those names off. Oh, that's nice. But when you destroy said people you can then pick up a bit of an arm give a give a bit of a chew because in the divinity world elves can gain memories from the things that they consume and yeah so you get to that's basically how you find your leads how it's, many times have you played divinity original center so i've done one single main playthrough and i have about four kind of semi-finished oh playthroughs. nice yeah just like working through various yeah, different yeah, stories yeah. because obviously depending on what kind of party you put together as well because all of the so for example sabiel as an elf um traditionally will be subservient to the lizard race in the divinity world <laughs> right and so if you put uh, the red prince who is a lizard in your party they then get completely unique kind of abilities oh my God. and the way that they talk to each other is is very much dependent on their relationship. It's mad. Every time, mad. every time I hear this kind of game being talked about, I feel desperately sorry for the developers. <laughs> it just seems really mean to make them do so much. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can play through the entire game with another person. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's co-op. Yeah, if you play it on console, you can play it as a split-screen co-op, which is wonderful. You can always do the traditional couch co-op thing, or you know, PC, which is where I played it. Um, my lineage is in PC, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is like over the internet. But it's wonderful and sort of like. It's Especially when, like, you can just have your co-op partner. Let's say us three were playing. We don't have to be together. We could be on separate sides of the map and all be, like, doing our own leads if we're sort of investigating. Yeah, it's really, really cool. That's cool. I may one day play that game. (laughs) It's good Uh, fun. Favourite movie? Ooh, I believe I'm supposed to say The Prestige. No, 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 you don't have to. That's a separate question. Um, it's it's one of those difficult ones, sort of like, I think overall it's probably Blade Runner, because mm-hmm. I'm that kind of nerd. You and Cardi need yeah. to chat. Yeah, um, but kind of like in recent times, like uh, like last year, I really, really loved kind of Into Spider-Verse and obviously oh, yeah. Infinity War, you know, I'm a big Marvel fan. But also stuff that came out last year was stuff like Black Klansman, which mm. was a real great kind of like hard-hitting movie, mm. but perfectly kind of judged in the way that it balanced humor with like real serious political issues. I think there's some like nice tangents with us as well just, yes, just to remind definitely. people that us is the the point of this podcast <laughs> but we'll get back to that favorite tv show Ooh, veronica mars is one that calls Ooh. out to me so i'm a big fan of that era of like i love buffy i love angel firefly but veronica mars is the one that sticks out from mm-hmm. that era i love it like i mean obviously christian bell has kind of gone on and is back in the headlines again i suppose for the good place which yeah. is also amazing um but yeah i've got veronica mars has a place in my heart Nice. 
And uh, what do you think of the prestige? You're it's, allowed to be honest. Sure. Um, <laughs> I quickly. <laughs> probably third in my ranking of Nolan movies. Interesting. After? Dunkirk is first. Nice. Which, which yeah, that's is fair. Not the usual one, but yeah. But it's a, that's a reasonable choice because it is. It yeah. stands alone amongst his stuff. Yeah, so you absolutely. either believe it's better or for it's sure, not yeah. As good. And then Inception. Fair play. Mm-hmm. All right. It's no Batman's above prestige. I'm fine <laughs> with that. That's good. Uh, right now to the matter at hand. Us, which Us. is the new movie from Jordan Peele, who you may know from Get Out, which was also very good. Um, just to get this out of the way, we are going to be doing spoilers about Us. Uh, because it is out today as this podcast arrives, uh, but we're going to do them right at the end. So you don't need to worry about spoilers unless we really fuck up (laughs) until ages, and we'll give you a big warning before we start talking about them. But spoiler-free reactions. We've all seen it this week, or last week. Um, Jesse, what did you think of us? I thought it was... It was a really fantastic blend of horror and also surprisingly comedy yeah. as well, just from the trailers, because usually trailers can be deceiving and also fairly disappointing when it comes to horror movies, just because they can also just show everything. Yeah. But I was surprised how much comedic elements there were in the film. I was laughing at quite a few scenes, even scenes that weren't necessarily meant to be funny, which I'm not sure is meant to be a good <laughs> thing or not. But um, I really, really enjoyed the film. I was entirely surprised by it, to like, be fair. I went back and watched some of the trailers afterwards because I realised my girlfriend hadn't seen them and I was yeah. I came back being like, I watched this film <laughs> and we watched them. There's bits in the trailers that you're being shown, firstly, that right up to the end, but not in a spoilery way. It's quite yeah. amazing. And there's bits in the trailers that in the scenes are being played as broad comedy that in the trailer are portrayed as horror and I would never have known. It's like quite an amazing trick using that, like setting things up and then bursting that bubble. Yeah, because often with trailers, it's either stuff that they've shot specifically for the trailer that you never end up seeing in the film or it would be parts like really important segments from the film that are just shown in the trailer for Mm. no apparent reason and spoil the film. But I feel like the marketing for us kind of nailed it without having to show too much of the actual film, which I really appreciate. It is really cool. Matt, what do you think? I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm a fan of Get Out, but I must say the first time I saw Get Out, I it's not that I didn't like it, but it, I went in expecting it to be something closer to Green Room. Right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and because it wasn't, and I sort of wanted it to be Green Room, I wanted it to be really vicious. <laughs> so when I rewatched it and realized it's kind of closer to a Black Mirror kind of thing. Yeah. And I think us sits in that stock which kind of it all comes together when you realise obviously Peel's doing the Twilight Zone and stuff like that and this is like pointedly an homage to yeah. a Twilight Zone uh, episode he has a memory of mm-hmm. as a kid we, so I, I spoke to Jordan Peel. you'll hear that interview later on and we bring that up briefly and it's quite sure. I, I love the idea that he's just got this like uh this like image of what that like episode a was, of it. and that's yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a similar thing. We, when Alex Garland was on the podcast, he talked about he read. I think he read Annihilation once, right. and then never read it again. He was like, "I'm just going to read it once, and then I'll just do my own thing mm-hmm. with it." But that's that lives as like the image of it, like you say, a spectre. It's really cool. Yeah, but no, I, I thought it was a, a real. As Jesse says, like there was a lot of comedy to it, and that's again, that's Peel's chops from back when he was on like Kane Peel and all of that. You know, and I love those kind of sketches. So I appreciated that shining through. Um, it's really barbaric at points. Like <laughs> yeah. it's a real shock when it comes to some of the violence. Um, and yeah, yeah, it because it's got that kind of Twilight Zone, that Black Mirror kind of thing. Because I was expecting it going in this time, there was I think it was less of a surprise to me as what Get Out was, mm. but. I, th- I think it's really accomplished. I don't know if it's more accomplished. I don't know if it is the, you know, the truth of going into like the sequels getting better, but it's certainly not that difficult second album no. syndrome. Yeah. Like from my perspective, I don't like it as much as I like Get Out. Mm-hmm. I think Get Out is a more, I mean, importance and easy words to yeah. throw at Get Out, but mm-hmm. it is a more important movie. And I think it's a more, um, I think it's tighter. Yes this like sprawls out in this weird way that we'll get onto in the spoiler section if you stay around with us but the the base concept is so fun mm-hmm. that even when it became slightly more absurd i stopped thinking about the message and just kind of went along with it it yeah. just becomes this like just a, like following the thread of how mad this would get. Mm. It's um, a big old monster of the week episode, isn't it? it? Absolutely. Yeah, like, like Killer totally Doppelgangers is. is like pretty interesting how they're constantly stalking you throughout the film. Yeah. That's just fantastic. It occurs to me that we've never explained what this film is to anyone <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Seen it yet. So if you haven't seen the adverts, if you don't know what this film is, essentially a family of four go on holiday to uh, an area around the Santa Cruz sort of California Bay area. 
Is that the bay? No, it's a bay. And then um, <laughs> and they go on holiday, and one night they discover uh, versions of themselves standing in their driveway, and they do not have pleasant intentions for the family. <laughs> um, this ties into Lupita Nyong'o's character having had an experience of something on the in the same area in a hall of mirrors imagery um, on the beach in the same area, and so she keeps seeing reflections of her childhood alongside reflections of herself and her family um and it's it's goes quickly more and more horrible from there and um, it should be pointed out that she is like the driving force of this she, movie she's her absolutely incredible in it and the thing is is because she's obviously playing herself and a doppelganger the fact that these are they're almost on two opposite spectrums of like opposite ends of the spectrum of like acting mm. and it just shows like how broad she is yeah. in terms of her performance it's nuts the the first time she speaks as red her doppelganger the character guttural kind of this yeah. mad voice that i like wasn't expecting i went all. home trying to do that <laughs> voice and i still can't do it but it reminds she, me a bit of like some of the noises they make is like the clickers from uh, lost of us it's like and it, the grudge as well yeah. like that uh, like that speaking from like a broken bit mm-hmm. of voice box is nuts they could have gone with like the easy direction which is like they're literal like mirror personalities and they sound the same and they act the same and they just try and blend in and I'm really glad they didn't do that because that just would have been yeah. the most disappointing thing I think there's some elements where they for me where they start like explaining too much about what these this this situation yeah. is but the thing I really like that he keeps blank is obviously these are versions or like twisted reflections of the characters like dark traits of them Yeah, but he never He's never obvious enough as to say, this is... You never get the version of the dad doing something that makes you go, oh, this mm-hmm. is why his doppelganger's this way. Yeah. It's just an inflection, this like implication of the idea of there's this darkness in the dad that is coming out in his doppelganger, which I really enjoy. I think that'll be the... That was, that's the end of our spoiler-free reactions. Because <laughs> I'm just dying to get into yeah, this we'll get Yeah, we'll get to spoilers later on. But first, as we always do on a special, we have a loosely, <laughs> loosely tied feature that we've worked on uh, between the three of us. And this is... The well, not maybe not the best, but certainly <laughs> notable films in which actors are playing more than one role. Um, I'm going to just put it out there. Number one, Nutty Professor, and it's and Nutty <laughs> Professor Two, The Clumps. Eddie Murphy plays at least seven roles in both films. I oh, wanted to God. know if you could remember any or all of them because I've written them all down. Oh, oh, I watched this back when it was on VHS. <laughs> yeah, boy, you're old enough to remember. <laughs> I, I, know, right? I don't. Play <laughs> I saw it on numerous floppy disks. Uh, he plays, of course, Professor Sherman Clump, That's his alter ego, <laughs> Buddy Love, <laughs> uh, Papa Cletus Clump, Mama, him. Mama Anna Clump, Granny Ida Mae Jensen, <laughs> Ernie Clump Sr., and weirdly, I don't remember this at all, Lance Perkins, a parody of Richard Simmons. It, it just sounds disgusting in the throat, Clump, as it's, a family name. It's, it's just grotesque. not pleasant. Uh, and, of course, in uh, Night Professor 2, The Clumps, he also plays young, young Papa Cletus Clump, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good Such set of syllables. Such classic films. Um, did you know, I've lo- I'd looked this up today, The Night Professor 1 was favourably reviewed by critics. It holds a 64 on Rotten Tomatoes. God, they were bad critics it's back then, It's weird. Generally favourable reviews. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four. Let me literally it. him, like the actual guy. Yeah, oh, Mr. Okay. Roger Ebert Bloody said hell. it's a movie that's like a thumb to the nose for everyone who said Murphy had lost it. He's very good. And the movie <laughs> succeeds in two different ways. If only they could see him now. It's sweet and good-hearted, and then again it's raucous slapstick and bathroom humour. I liked both parts. <laughs> Uh, what I liked about this is that Night Professor 2 did not receive the same kind of approval. It's 26% approval rating. Did Ebert review that as well? He did. I'll oh, get yes. on to that. He, called, well, he didn't call it, sorry. Adjectives such as obnoxious, lowbrow, bloated, and unfunny cropped up frequently in reviews. But Roger Ebert gave the film three stars out of four. Freaking hell. He said it was raucous and scathological, but that it overall proved it was- to be very funny. And get this, never less than amazing. <laughs> Amazing! All right, mate. Whatever Roger you say. Ebert is well remembered <laughs> yep. for many reasons, but I'm pretty sure people have forgotten about his review of both Nutty Professor. I'm films. pleased you brought it to light, Joe. Yeah, but he, he deserves it. <laughs> That'll burn in my mind forever now. His terrible review. But I think, I mean, I've I've set a pretty high bar. 
for uh, films yeah. with two roles played by the same actor. I only can think of one film. Literally I, one film I in didn't, history. I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> um, Logan, when you have Logan and then his clone, I guess, near the, yeah, clone near the end. And they just they have a big fight and he's younger in I, that. I saw a very good um, uh, like rundown of, what was it, CGI, like, CGI you'd never see. Right. Like, which is a thing that often people talk about with regard to David Fincher, who does a lot of mad CGI that for seemingly no reason. Um, and in the Logan one, there are scenes where the same stunt double who's playing his, like, uh, playing his clone for a lot of it. Yeah. Is doing whole scenes that Hugh Jackman's not in where they've digitally pasted Hugh Jackman's face on it. So you know the scene where he's driving the limo right near the yeah, stunt? Yeah, I was about to say that's one of the scenes when they got the stunt guy to do that and just then they just pasted in a car driving. Hugh Jackman's not yeah. even there. And it looks fantastic. It looks incredible. I would yeah. never have known that. It's, it's absolutely insane. So yeah, that's totally. not... That's almost um, <laughs> the stunt doubles playing two yeah, roles as exactly. well as Hugh Jackman. Like, but I can't... I literally can't think of any other film. That's fine. Fair play. That's a clone. That's all I right. I failed. <laughs> Uh, Matt? Right, so the first one that I originally thought of was uh, Social Network, because yeah. obviously the Vakovos twins are played by Army Hammer, right? Yeah. Although, if I remember rightly, it's two, like, doubles. It's, it's, well, they... it's Army Hammer and a double. Right. Mm -hmm. And they've, again, just stuck a head on him. <laughs> yeah. But that's too easy. So then I link that to, because obviously Jesse Eisenberg mm -hmm. is the main character in The Social Network. And yes. And he is the main character in The Double, Richard Ayoade's film. I've still never seen. It's phenomenal. It's based like, on like a Dostoyevsky. Yes, yeah. Play, right? And like, it's got that. It's all that real sort of like dank, dark, almost 1984-ish oppression. Mm. Um, and basically kind of uh, Jesse Eisenberg is this downtrodden kind of guy working in a <laughs> dull office job. And then just himself turns up but he's really charismatic and he knows how to get the girl and <laughs> like starts to kind of teach him and then it all goes wrong what um, you're describing is mm -hmm. quite literally the plot of the first Natty Professor film. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Love is the character uh, but yeah almost can guarantee that it probably you know when that the kind of praise that Ebert was laying on mm -hmm. like maybe that was just for the double but it has wormed its way into the Nutty <laughs> Professor copied and pasted <laughs> onto the Nutty Professor yeah, I still need to see that film yeah so it, it's fantastic and I recommend it everyone but the other one that I was thinking that is kind of more interesting because obviously in that it's just Eisenberg looks like Eisenberg and yeah. kind of they're in the same shots together um, and there's kind of there's almost a little bit of us in there where it's like the dark reflection and stuff like that but the more interesting one I was thinking of was actually Cloud Atlas oh yeah in which case yeah see that film right so it's like a three and a quarter hour long kind of mass thing based on one of my favorite books but because it's set it, it, it's six kind of stories that combine into one which mean and it's effectively the idea behind cloud atlas is effectively reincarnation so you've got actors that have been reincarnated over six different time periods sometimes you know they'll start off as being caucasian and suddenly they're asian in other kind there of there was like a really big debate about that yeah, yeah. what does it actually look like when it comes I to mean, on the screen some of them are better than others yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> i'll say that much isn't it halle berry plays like a really old asian man yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right it's very yeah strange. so there's changes changes of gender there's changes of kind of ethnicity and stuff like that it's bonkers um, but my favorite one that I want to point out is like Hugh Grant, who is in um, most of the stories. But the biggest difference is, is that I could say is sort of like in one of the stories, he is like the leader of a nuclear power plant, which he knows is about to go wrong, but won't won't ever disclose. But in another section, so that's in the 70s, I believe. There's a section where he's in Hawaii in the apocalyptic future where he is a cannibal riding around on a horse with full, you know, head-to-toe tattoos That's going around rad. with a sword. It is, like... It, I would have said it's Hugh Grant's best role, but then he went and did Paddington. So. Paddington 2 is yeah. quite easily mm -hmm. Hugh Grant's best yeah. ever role. Another... Well, he no, he doesn't play multiple roles. He plays someone who's pretending to play yes. multiple roles. Mm -hmm. But it kind of works. Uh, obviously, this section wouldn't be complete without me mentioning The Prestige. Of course. I will say, because I've been told off before, there are spoilers for The Prestige in the next five <laughs> minutes. But in that film, and I know I go on about this film a lot, but fuck me. Not only do both main characters kind of secretly play doubles mm -hmm. because I think the Gerald Root prosthetics are actually quite convincing apart from his nose. Um, so Hugh Jackman plays himself and a man who is made up to look as much as possible like Hugh Jackman while not actually looking like Hugh Jackman. 
which is someone trying to look like someone else. Well, Christian Bale plays a twin brother who dresses as far as possible away from the other person. So you've got this, not only is this film about a dichotomy between these two men, it's about two dichotomies that go in two completely different directions. It's fucking amazing. The Prestige is the best film ever made. Is this film not about magicians? Because I honestly can't remember it. Yeah, it's about magicians, yeah. but oh. it's about so much more, Jesse. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Go. I need to What's delve deeper prestige? into the lore of the, the prestige. You do. Uh, you know who else will dive into the lore of the prestige with me? Jordan Peele, because I asked okay. him about it at the end of this interview. <laughs> uh, but before that, we've got 15 minutes of nice chat between me and nice Jordan Peele about his great new film, Us. Just listen to this. first thing I have to say about Us is that it's a weird film to see at 10 in the morning this morning. Yeah, um, even weirder to see it at 11.11. Well, yeah. And, well, I mean, I should have checked when we hit 11.11 <laughs> during it. Yeah. I, I always think the, the mark of a good horror film is how much it's affecting you on the way home. Ah, and yeah. I got the tube straight afterwards to find somewhere to go and sort of write my notes and things. And as I got on the tube, I saw two people suddenly turn around to look at me, and I was just like, "Right, this is it. This is it's time. What, I've got, I've got, I've got to fuck up some people on the tube. They're here." <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, it was uh, genuinely terrifying. But then I went into you know, a pub. very interesting. If I can just um, mm. the the train stations and, and bus stops tend to uh, be uh, where doppelgangers uh, exist in a lot of pop culture yeah. things. And it's like this crossroads of transportation. It was. In this, uh, in the Twilight Zone mirror image, um, which this is like an homage to, or like a, is well, jumping it, off point from? I think, is that I right? think you know, I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah, and um, and then when I was uh, on in the subway, I, I would picture myself across the subway platform, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, it's, it, I mean, and it scared the. Can we curse? Oh yes, we can. We scared the shit out. Of me. <laughs> Um, and so that that's just been there. That's just been the kind of a primal fear. But I, I just I find I, I sorry to interrupt. I no, find no. it so fascinating that you know th- that there's this collective subconscious mm. and these synchronicities where um, I, I feel like it's not a coincidence that this experience happened to you on a subway. Well, it's almost scarier that you could see them and lose them. Like, mm. you can miss them. Yeah. So they're just out there somewhere. Yeah, and there, there's something about, like, a, a port between worlds. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where the this is where the universes collide and intersect, and you can see two of yourself mm-hmm. there at any given time. And that, 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 that happens on this really subconscious level, I mm. think. Well, it's also, I mean, particularly with underground trains and that kind of thing, tunnels, which seems to be a fairly... Uh, it's an establishing point for us as well, which yes. I was super interested in because I went in having seen the trailers and, and nothing else mm-hmm. and going, I have a measure of what this film is going to mm-hmm. be, well, how, what, how it's going to progress. And then that first quote comes up about <laughs> tunnels under the US, some with no known purpose. Yeah. And you're just like, sorry, what is this film? Like, I have oh, no idea cool. what I was about to see. And I think it, it achieves a similar thing to the start of Get Out where you're being shown a lot of things that you're very aware are almost certainly clues Mm-hmm. but you have no idea for the majority of the film yeah. where those things are. That continues into that establishing shot of the TV as well, yeah. where I was looking at things going, one in particular, where I'm going, well, if that's that. And then the whole film just going like, it's just playing on my mind, this one clue I've seen. I don't want to say mm-hmm. because it, mm-hmm. it comes to fruition, but you're just sitting there going, yeah. this is going to come back, and I don't know when it's going to come back. It's, it's really it's, interesting. It's so cool, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's because people learn my, this sort of, my Easter egg, my love <laughs> of the treasure hunt from Get Out, or if when you when you put these things in, um, it's, it's a, there's an undeniable magnetism to them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, su- super cool. I'm, I, you know, the tunnels thing is true. There are... <laughs> you know, hundreds of thousands of miles of tunnels underneath the continental United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, a horror movie to me is only as um, scary as it is grounded in some kind of truth. Yeah. I've heard, I heard an amazing thing recently regarding tunnels, which was, and I'm going to butcher this, by the way, but a friend in San Francisco took me to a, to a bar called, I believe it's called the House of Shields. 
and it was apparently, I don't actually know if this is true, I haven't looked it up since he told me, but it's one of those stories that really sticks in your head. And you go, apparently during Prohibition, the Prohibition era president died in this hotel, and everyone was like, oh, he just suddenly died. And then it turned out 70 years later or something that he died in this bar, mm. and this bar has a tunnel to a nearby hotel. And so the Prohibition era president had gone for a drink, died in there, and then it had been this cover-up, and it's all through this hidden tunnel. Wow. And like, these things keep popping up. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This, this idea that there's these no-known yeah. purpose. And we, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it works, because you know, I'm not inherently a fan of text in the beginning of a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can be, it can, it can seem lazy to me, you mm-hmm. know, whether, whether it is or not. Like, a, that's how you, you get your exposition out is just put it on it. But, um, you know, the, the, the lines about the, the tunnels, to me, um, is not about, it's about giving a little piece of information that just um, sets your imagination off into a very scary Absolutely. place. And it, yeah, it just needles at you all the way through yeah. because you know it's going to come back. It's coming. Yeah. Um, I have to ask about that, the opening shot with the TV. There's, there's lots of things on there. One of them is the right stuff. Mm-hmm. In the last week, I've seen Captain Marvel and this, both of which directly reference the right stuff, as in the the DVD or the video box set. Oh, wow. And I, like, I haven't seen that, so that's... But what's that about? <laughs> I mean, not, Coincidences. Again, coincidences. Yeah. Synchronicity. Yeah. Um, I, I really believe in this. You know, I've been, I've been reading about it, and, you know, uh, I mean, look, on one hand, we're, you know, the, the, those of us that were kids and impressionable and, and influenced by these things are now in positions to make movies and mm-hmm. you know you sort of you translate your childhood um, you know the right stuff for me is is a, another one of these um, you know in, in in terms of us is you know it's a symbol of you know, patriot patriotic optimism mm-hmm. um, you know much like you know hands across America was mm-hmm. and and um, this movie is really about uh, exploring the dark side of, uh, you know, the sort of collective lie of goodness that humans um, have convinced ourselves of. That's really interesting. I, I, the, that moment where um, uh, it's Ad, is it Adelaide's character, mm-hmm. Ad, yeah, um, her doppelganger who is red, is yes. that right? Yes. Um, says we're Americans yeah. seemingly out of nowhere like it's yeah. not a response to anything it's just this moment of a sort of a, a galvanizing statement for why this is happening it's yes. so effective well you know this is this is in the um, the scene when the doppelgangers and the family first um, interact mm. and Gabe does ask um, what are you people mm. so the answer to that question is we're Americans yeah. <laughs> it's so it feels so like so separate from what he's trying to ask that yeah, it really the, the, sticks out. Y- yeah, right on. And speaking of that section, how did you find Lupita Nyong'o's voice for Red? Because it's distinctive, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes, it's a, it's a very unique and, and voice that I think is contributes to the, the haunting nature of this movie. Mm. Um, far after you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I gave her was, you know, what, what was written in the script, which was basically it's it's scratchy. It's a, a voice that has, that, that sounds like it hasn't been used in, in mm-hmm. years. Um, and, you know, she took, she took that as a major um, a source of, of inspiration for how she's gonna approach the character. And she sort of started Started with the voice. Um, well, and, and actually, she was taking ballet at the same time, so she was doing this this sort of preparing to live in the role. And when she first showed it to me, it was um, it was just so it was un, it wasn't what I expected. And it mm. was unlike anything I've I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 just one of the uh, ways in which she delivered a really iconic, un- unforgettable performance. Well, I think that goes for the whole cast as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're, a, a lot's been made, and rightly so, of the fact that it's, you know, four principal cast members and then playing four. Mm-hmm. Um, oop. Oop. I'm dragging this <laughs> mic, right. mic pack to get a, gl- a glass of water. Let's, here. Just okay. keep, let's just keep it real. Yeah. Um, 
and you've and a lot's been made of the fact that they're playing four other characters as well, which is quite an achievement. I, yeah. Apart from anything else, watching that, I just think it must have been so fun to play the the, the tethered yeah. elements of themselves. Like, was there any element of like people breaking when they're playing it on set? Like, just getting really excited by how silly some you know, of that stuff is. I think the I think the kids allowed themselves to have more fun than the adults. Mm-hmm. Because I think the I think Lupita and Winston really took on the um, weight that, mm. that their, their, you know, what their characters have been through. They're, they are submersive per- performers. They mm-hmm. really they have to feel it to believe it. Okay. Um, and for the kids, you know, it was a little bit more like. Um, let's create a monster together and have some fun. That's cool. Um, but. Uh, you know, when I'd like walk into Lupita's room, when she was red, mm. it would be, I did not want to go in that room. <laughs> <laughs> she, I'd, I'd walk in and she'd be like, I, I don't know, like standing and like against the wall, like looking at the... This is the thing. There's, I've never truly realized the horror of someone standing looking away from you before yes. this. Yeah, terrifying. And, and you know, I'd, I'd try and... Not, I'd, I'd avoid eye contact, but every now and then I'd try to make her laugh mm-hmm. as red. And when you have that, when you have that, it's 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 funny to see red laugh. <laughs> and speaking of the the kids in particular, how do you find not only two good child actors, which is I hear difficult in and of itself, but find two who are able to play shadow selves at the same time like what, what did you go out looking for in that yeah i mean well we have and, and, and don't forget we also have madison curry who played uh, young adelaide Absolutely. and um callie and uh noelle sheldon who um um are the uh the the the, the tyler daughters mm-hmm. but um you know in terms of uh you know shahadi and evan um you know, first I, I wanted to make sure I had kids who were familiar with the horror genre. So the first thing I asked them is, "Have you seen horror movies? Are you oh, afraid cool. of them?" And they were, they, you know, they were like, "Yes." Um, <laughs> they had seen some pretty messed. They seen like it, you know, and whatnot, and like like that. So I was like, "Okay." So we have a, um, we have an, uh, you know, we have a sort of clarity out of the gate where mm-hmm. reality, um, you know, and fantasy. Uh, uh, end and begin here, so that's that's good. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately, you know, they, for their for their um, quote unquote good sides, we <laughs> I'm all you know. So I'm, I'm all I don't know what good and evil is anymore. Like, yeah. um, no, no, for their good sides of uh, Jason and and Zora, you know, we just needed kids who were able to act like kids, be mm. natural, not have that like Disney kid. Like, hi, college Willikers thing going on, um, and these guys could be natural. That mm. was good. But then, you know, we needed we needed people who ha- could have fun with the dark side of it, yeah. and really just sort of develop a monster. So, you know, I saw them both uh, in an audition. So, give me that, you know, give me that creepy smile, and sort of found a couple moments. And as soon as we had that, I knew we were good. That's cool. And in terms of. Um in terms of that family as a whole, that dynamic, which again, a lot of people have commented on, it feels remarkably natural. But I find it really interesting how both this and Get Out, although on different sides to some extent, have families with quite realistic sort of ticks and and particularly the way they irritate each other, which feels from personal experience, very natural to me. Mm -hmm. Like I know me and my brother and sister all had ways Mm -hmm. that we'd get under each other's skin. Mm -hmm. And like, is that something you just enjoy teasing out this idea of n- not the dark side of a family, but the sort of just annoying side of siblings and parents and the way they the way they can piss <laughs> yeah, each I other think so. off? You know, I'm an only child, so I, I think I was probably like observing my friends with um, you know, brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and 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 the, the dynamic does hold a little bit of a fascination uh, for me. But um, you know. I, I, in, in any movie, in any kind of um, combination of characters, you you just have to make sure that everybody has a a complex um, uh, situation with every other character, hmm. and that you could. I think it's 
if you pass one up, then the audience really feels it, even mm -hmm. if they don't notice why. Okay, and I think another thing that really stands out to me is the location of this film. Like, so much of it being on Santa Cruz Beach, apart from anything else, which I can't say I've ever been there. It doesn't seem like the location that you would go to and go, this is my horror zone. Like, this is where we're going to make really horrible shit happen constantly. Like, well, what is it about Santa Cruz that, that got you? You know, I apart from it being the set of The, the Lost Boys, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, is just a, a sort of perfect 80s reference mm -hmm. where we begin our, our, our movie, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I love subverting the idyllic and the beautiful and the pleasant and the relatable. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'll, 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 I'm not too interested in like gr dirty basement horror. Mm. Um, because, wh wh you know, if you can scare them and take them on a vacation, <laughs> them meaning the audience, yeah. you know. Um, do that. Mm. You know, my, my favorite, uh, some of my favorite horror movies like Stepford Wives and Jaws and, um, you know, even even The Exorcist in, in Georgetown feels sort of, um, well, it's creepy. Creepy, yeah. creepy as Georgetown, actually. But <laughs> Hitchcock with the birds and Vertigo yeah. sort of explored this um, Northern California Bay Area, you know, beachy Pacific thing. And I hadn't seen that enough, and so I wanted—I also wanted to channel that. Okay, I really enjoy the. There was that element right at the very start where um, young Adelaide is walking down the steps, and you—you've had this whole scene hearing the, um, the rides going in the background, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you realise that you—you normalise screaming in that situation, and then suddenly there's this. As you get tense, you realise. Oh, that's just diegetic noise of screams now, yes, and because yeah. you can't see the rides, it's suddenly just a soundtrack of screaming. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's such yeah, a the, great idea. Such a, a duality with that lo the location of amusement park, and you know, on the one hand, it's people coming to you know together to um, you know eat candied apples and go on rides and play games, and it's the ultimate and fun. And yet, when you really take a step back, it's absolutely mad. It's absolute madness. <laughs> it's you know we're we're getting into these death traps to convince ourselves that we're in danger and eating just the, the, as much sugar as possible. Um, I'm, I'm 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 fascinated with all the the things that we do that with a different lens turn into. Total craziness. It is amazing that roller coasters are one of the only things that can be successfully advertised by telling you you might die on them. <laughs> like yeah, that's it's right. so weird. That's right. It's so weird, and and um, I, I think it's one of the same reasons horror movies are, you know, work and they're, they're popular. Mm -hmm. Is like we we run from our our fear of death so much in our life that uh, we need pleasant outlets. We need to get together and. Um, face that fear from time to time. That's a very cool way of putting it. Um, I've got one more question that we mm -hmm. ask everyone on the podcast, which is, have you seen the film The Prestige? Yes. And did you like it? I did like it. You know, I saw it when it, when it first came out, and I, I, you know, Nolan is one of the, one of the ways I, I sort of, uh, uh, many ways I admire him uh, as a director, but as a storyteller, he creates stories that continue to unfold the more I see them. Mm. And um, I know The Prestige is one of those films, and, and I haven't got the chance to rewatch it, but oh, I, 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 I need to. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, I, Nolan movies, every time I watch them, they get better. Mm. Cool, thank you so much for your time, John. Mm. Thank I didn't you. mean to interrupt you, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Cheers, man. man. I appreciate it, Joe. Wasn't that nice? What a lovely man. These two haven't heard it. That was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it too. He's a great guy. Uh, I will say that as I started, as you will have already heard, um, I say something 
that makes him laugh and he claps his hands and I've rarely felt better about myself. Like <laughs> I came out just going like, I made Jordan Peele laugh. I'm insanely good at this. And you have that <laughs> captured on audio. I know, I'm very happy. Not <laughs> He'll have what though. you're having. Um, I would love him to. Uh, right, this week's Endless Search is, again, tangentially related to the subject at hand, but not that much. Um, so the Endless Search, obviously, to explain, is us endlessly looking for a game that can replace Keyword Countdown, which is made by a man who's no longer here and we won't talk about. Hello, Joe here. Uh, I sort of forgot to intro this properly. So this sort of counts as an intro, but, you know, I've, you know, I've sort of fucked it up a bit. But without further ado, allow me to present to you... It's Murder Cluedo. This week... <laughs> being a little bit lazy and strapped for time uh last year or the year before whenever it the new one came out um we did a pub quiz and i made a round for that pub quiz called murder cluedo which is essentially i give you the three main elements of any cluedo game and you guess what film this murder is from uh i'm reusing all but one of them so if you were at that pub quiz i hope your memory's good you'll be wicked at this <laughs> sick uh I will give you... How will we do this? I'll alternate between the two of you giving a first answer, and if you get it wrong, I'll pass it over to the other one. Let's just go with that. I'm ready. So, Murder Cluedo. In fact, they're all quite hard, so you can <laughs> just shout out when you think they're good. Right. So, name, location, murder weapon, as we all know, from Cluedo. So, Dean Armitage in the basement corridor with a deer head. A deer head is quite a singular weapon, so yeah. I, I wonder. Is the deer is the deer head used as a melee weapon, or is it mounted on the wall? It's taken off a wall. Taken off a wall. And then used as a melee weapon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not coming to mind. Oh, no. It's get out. That's how, of course uh, it is. That's how your lad does. Because of all the image, I remember the all the imagery, died. yeah. Crap. Well, this is only going to get harder, boys. <laughs> oh, man. Tatum Riley in the garage with a garage door. Again, there's, there's no hope for me. <laughs> Fuck, so this is sad. Tatum Riley in the garage with a garage door. I'm just thinking of UK garage. Yeah, it's <laughs> all in my mind now. I haven't prepared one. I'll have to think of one later. No, no, no. Scream. Tatum Riley is the character that gets stuck in a raising garage door and gets crushed in half, despite Crap. that being absurd. This is going to be a long game. <laughs> Unnamed consec agent. In the auditorium with telekinesis. Stranger Things? No. Crap. It's the source of many gifts. Source of many gifts. More, what? well. How old is this film? Old. 80s. Carrie? 70s. No. No. Scanners. Didn't even know that was. Ah, uh, Scanners is crap. great, man. People's heads explode all the way through it. It's great. I like the sound of that. Glenn Lance in a bedroom. And the murder weapon is a carnivorous bed that is then sick. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. We, we go. got one. That's Thank Johnny God. Depp's death. It's very pleasant to watch yeah. in the light of current Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> the Kandarian demon in rural Tennessee with a shotgun. Ooh. What's the name again? A Kandarian demon. demon. With a shotgun. Is yeah. it Dust Till Dawn? It's not. No. What year was this released? 80s. Crap. No, I'm not getting it. It's Evil Dead 2. Shit. That's, that's quite a hard one. <laughs> Father Brennan in the graveyard with a lightning rod. Ooh. Is the lightning... Yeah, okay, this is the omen. It is the omen. Oh, yeah. It's it, one man. all. <laughs> this is my favourite name on the list. Zepp Hindle in the bathroom with a toilet cistern lid. This guy gets killed by a toilet lid. I yeah. mean, they're very heavy. Not a toilet seat, but the lid from the cistern. Big old piece of ceramic. Yeah. I hate the feeling of lifting a cistern lid. Gross. Ugh, it's like it's scratches <laughs> against the edge. Porcelain's gross. No? No. It's Saw. It's the final oh, death in the original Saw. It's like six million Maybe of those films. <laughs> yeah, but the first one, the one that actually matters. Oh, that's true. Judy Williams in the woods with a sleeping bag and tree combo. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you have to get the exact film. There's oh, millions that's of these. Bullshit. <laughs> Friday Thirteenth Part Two. Oh, nearly. There should be a V in front of those oh, two eyes. It's fuck. Part Seven: that's... The New Blood. You can have it. Yes. Two one. <laughs> Loads of fancy people in the ballroom with a long wire cord. Van Helsing? No. Oh shit. This scene features... Ghost ship? Ghost ship! There we go. <laughs> You've won it with that. There's only Fucking one up. left, I'm sorry to say. 3-1. You've got more than I thought you would. Well yeah. done. <laughs> the final one. This is hard and gross. Jenny in the secret ward with septicemia. <laughs> what? Uh, it's not technically a murder, but it's definitely manslaughter. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm not getting that at all. <laughs> not a clue. It's the human centipede. She's the one oh, in the middle that dies oh. of septicemia. Oh, that's it's rank. so unpleasant. What a great film. That was Murder Cluedo, never to be repeated, because <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> and I won my first game ever. You did, fair play. Yes. 3-1. Congratulations, Jesse. Ghost Ship's a shit film. I just like that first scene. Yeah. <laughs> that's a young Emily Browning now of Amer- American Gods, which I didn't realise until I looked it up. And now uh, we know. Right. If you haven't watched Us, fuck off, because <laughs> we're going to say lots of things about it that Savage. you shouldn't know. Um, it's out today. I'm going to give you approximately five seconds to leave from now, and we're going to play a short section of UK Garage. <laughs> I don't know what garage we put in there, but I bet... Maybe actually Baby Cakes. We're going to put in a bit of Baby Cakes by Three of a Kind. I know that song. Yeah. Uh, right. Us. Let's talk it through. People don't like the ending of Us on the streets. This uh, is on the mean streets of London. <laughs> so we, let's let's jump straight into it. If Hopefully you've seen it if we're talking about this. Uh, it ends with the twist that Lupita Nyong'o's character uh, was... Well, the main Lupita Nyong'o's character, Adelaide, was in fact the doppelganger from the start of the film who choked out the original (laughs) Adelaide and put her in a basement and made her live there for the rest of her Mm -hmm. life. And then the Hands Across America thing seems to have worked and there's helicopters looking at the Hands Across America. Do you think that was good? The whole film like like had me hooked until I guess the kind of end it, it, it began when she went down the stairs that kind of reminded me of Silent Hill those escalators oh yeah, yeah. when she was kind of delving in I was like now shit's about to like go crazy mm. just from that randomly appearing but um ah it, it reminds me of like the urban legend like the mole people who kind of live and it, it ties back to the start of the film when it mentions the tunnels, the tunnels yeah. as well um but there's there's a lot of unanswered questions in regards to where the the doppelgangers, and they're called tethers, where they actually yeah. come from and why they're this there. Is, this is the problem I have, is that it goes so far as to give you a concrete explanation for how they got there. Yeah. They were a they were an experiment in cloning uh, that, By the government, that, that which didn't failed. have a soul. Yeah. But so little else, because if you're going to get into the mechanics of these, if you, if you introduce the idea of mechanics to this... Yeah. It feels rude to not follow through. Yeah. Like, why do they have these rabbits? Yeah. Why are they all here? Why is it so easy to get into <laughs> this place? Like, it, as soon as you give me any, particularly nerds, as soon as you give us anything to like follow, as soon as that trail stops, it becomes unsatisfying. Which, which was part of my problem with it. it. It's confusing as well because um, it's established that anyone can just kind of leave. Yes. So Red, who's I guess the the doppelganger essentially um she she sees escalators going down but i assume she just walks up and then she's out there i've walked up a down escalator exactly <laughs> Am I, <a> <laughs> yes. um, the, I suppose my my non-issue with that is that there's an implication that they are bound there by some magical or psychic force right like they are all having to do what they do and then they make the point that red is different in some way yeah so she's drawn up the, the young red is drawn up to meet young adelaide by young Adelaide walking mm-hmm. there herself. And yeah. then the swap explains everything else about Adelaide, who became Red. Yeah. So that was kind of fine with me. <sighs> Essentially, there's a he's made a big point, and a lot of people have made a big point about the fact that us could be Red as US. And they have we talked about this. There's the moment where she they ask what they are and they say they're Americans, which is a fucking amazing line. <laughs> um but I think as soon as it becomes this like absurdist conspiracy thriller yeah. at the end I love it I love that idea 
but the message then just gets abandoned for me. It doesn't feel like it has a, a true... A true like through line anymore as a metaphor. Once it gives you that kind of technical answer of they are clones by a failed experiment from the government, then it, it loses the impact. Yeah, to me. me. Yeah, yeah. And I sort of get the idea of kind of like um, the American government has not been great to to people in the past, <laughs> yes. and sort of like there's a there's a metaphor, and you know the best horror movies are metaphors mm. for you know societal issues. But I think because I'd largely forgotten about the opening crawl text, which obviously explains about the tunnels. I was, I got it in my mind that those tunnels were actually kind of a bit like how the Black Lodges in Twin Peaks, like okay, this, yeah, yeah. this ethereal kind of middle realm that doesn't really exist. And I think, as you say, by putting a mechanic to it, by actually having an explanation that's not fully explored in that finale, it kind of, I'm asking for more from yeah. that. Whereas I think if it was just this ethereal other place, it would be like, well, it's it's a quirk of the universe kind of putting forward like the problems. Um, but as you say, it, it still it still doesn't lose the impact, I don't no. think. And that hands across America thing is quite a clever thing. And I didn't actually realise that, that was real until we were doing the research. Neither for did this. I, yeah. Like I had no idea that was like a what was it? Like six million people six, did it. Six point five million people did it. I did some maths for the <laughs> for the podcast. So this film, I think, during the past takes place in what, nineteen eighty six? That's where yeah. I guess the prologue happens. So the population of the US was two hundred and forty million back in them days. And then roughly like 2018, 2019, the US population is 327 million. 6.5 million people did the like hands across America. So then it leaves it leaves the question as like, how many tethers actually existed and when did they stop being created? Mm. And can the tethers like, I guess, reproduce? I'm assuming they can, obviously, because... Well, they mention her giving birth. So presumably yeah. they started with some that then are naturally reproducing with the population through whatever link this yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, again, it seems almost churlish to like pull it apart like this, but this is how my brain works with yeah. this stuff. Like, if Red is leading this revolution through this limited space that we see, which can't hold more than a, you know, a few thousand people, how are there millions of them? Why are they everywhere? Like, it's so weird to it, me. It does mention a tunnel system across the US yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it just... It, I, I, it's hard for me to kind of like enjoy that segment of the film because it, there's parts in the film when it mentions Jeremiah 11, 11, is it? Like yeah. the biblical mm -hmm. verse? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, okay, so it's going to be some kind of um, system like that, you know, when it's tied to that. But then they give you like a mechanical answer. So then I'm torn between either it being kind of like a apocalyptic, you know, thing in regards to the Bible verse as mm. well. And then the mechanical answer too. But once you actually read what the quote's about, then it makes a bit more sense too. Do you have it? So, yes, I do have it. All right. Jeremiah 11.11, if you'd like to put your hands together. <laughs> Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Which I guess is kind of like, if that is the whole thing of like, because you see like the Jeremiah 11.11 kind of dotted around mm. every now and again. I guess the idea is this sort of like, the tethers will hear the kind of cries of the people that they're effectively going to hunt, but they won't listen because they've been stuck for a long time and yeah. now they don't give a shit. And there's, yeah, and there's the element of, well, they, like, the tethered apparently firmly believe in a god. Mm -hmm. So there's this element of, yeah, this is this sort of runs through everything. Well, did, quite, didn't they mention, because there's a scene um, when, I guess, Red effectively copies the ballet dancing of yes. the main character, and then they said after that scene, she then becomes a god to the tether. Didn't they well, mention that? It's it's that she, it's in that moment they realise that she's not one of them. So to right. them, she's special. But yeah. in, when we find out the twist, we realise that it's because she's actually the human with the soul. Yeah. Um, which is odd because then you're led to believe that the the actual the fake Adelaide has not had a soul this whole time, <laughs> but she seems pretty soulful and nice most of the time. Um, the the fun thing about that Jeremiah Jeremiah eleven 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 quote <laughs> is that uh, at the start of the interview, which you both obviously heard, um, I mentioned to Jordan Peele that the foot, the measure of a horror movie to me is when it affects you afterwards. And I got on a tube, and two people immediately looked at me too quickly, and I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like my head sprang into tethered mode. Um, but it, so, and I was about to carry on. But then he had this really interesting point to make and I never got back to what I was going to tell him, which is that I then got to the pub where I sat down and was started writing up my notes um, for meeting him. And the first thing I did was go on 
fucking bibleverse.net <laughs> and transcribe in my in my notebook Jeremiah 11:11 and then like looked up and there's someone at a bar just looking at me writing in my notebook it's like I look fucking terrifying yeah. <laughs> like writing this like hateful bible verse about God not listening to when evil comes I was like oh my god I'm one of the tethered now I see um yeah uh, thing that I wanted to say about this with regard to Get Out as well and another reason why I didn't think it was quite up there for me was Get Out had a weird thing that in subsequent rewatches has stuck out more and more to me which is that Rod the TSA agent is at once hilariously funny and so wildly out of place in that film <laughs> that like he takes me out but at the same time I'm still enjoying him talk and this is a thing that happens throughout us like the moments of comedy are occasionally so mad and yeah. so sketch like that I stopped thinking it was a film and felt more like a series of scenes in which there would be punchlines. It's like when but, NWA started playing. Like yeah, <laughs> exactly. But like they're but that's the thing, is they're memorable and they're great moments of comedy and like I have yeah. no I laughed more than I've laughed at actual comedy films in us. But at the same time I'd go like to a to a certain extent, I feel like he's compromising his own vision by giving in to the fact that he is funnier than most people when he yeah. writes. For, for it to be, it's got a serious thing to say, yeah. I think. But for it to be a film that passes like the six laugh test, yeah. and it's because Get Out isn't Get Out has those kind of you you laugh nervously yes. about it, but us isn't. It's as you say, it almost punctuates kind of sequences with a really good punchline. Yeah. There's like a specific gags as well for like when the, the Tyler f family is getting completely murdered and the mum like asks the fake Alexa to call the police. Yes. And it just doesn't work out and starts playing a tune instead. It start, starts playing fuck the police. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, but yeah, to, to build on your point earlier, like when I saw that Tim Heidecker was in the film playing like quite a normal man, I, that was the point at which I was like, there is no way you'd ever choose Tim Heidecker to play this role unless it goes mm. wrong. And so <laughs> then I'm drawing lines like, there's going to be more tethered and he has to be one of them. Yeah. And as soon as he starts playing a tethered, you're like, that's why you get fucking Tim from Tim and Eric to do this. Because <laughs> he's mental. Yeah. Like, it's so weird. Um, and we kind of covered this a bit in the interview, but this idea that um, some tethered are like sillier than others. Yeah. Well, which especially I the actually dad. do really like. The yeah. dad as well. But, and that's what I was saying. Like, he kind of mirrors his the overall aura and personality he had at the start of the film because yeah. he just seems like kind of just lazy but playful as well and the way he sways his arms and the way he interacts with the, the main dad yeah. too it just mirrored that to me yeah he's like it's a really big old like prospector kind of character isn't he <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean that's really funny and like yeah just the, the are they twins the two Tyler girls yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. like those two twin doppelganger versions of them, which is twins of twins, which is interesting. Like um, shrieky witches out of Left 4 Dead, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so <laughs> strange. Like, they're suddenly not like... Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed those moments of like finding out what those mm -hmm. those opposites would be. I wish we'd had a bit more like incidental versions of those where we... Because so many of the tethered you saw later on were ironically untethered from yeah. the versions of them <laughs> that you should be seeing. So the only one we see is the Jeremiah Man, I think. Um, but I thought that was really fun. Like, I, w I, w I would like to delve more into, like, what happens if, I don't know, <laughs> some celebrity has a tethered. Like, get the Bill Murray from Zombieland yeah. effect in there. I would really enjoy that. I loved how unprepared the Tyler family were, because you knew they were going to die. And yeah. then when it happens, they just go within a few seconds. Oh, it's amazing. With the sisters just standing there watching their parents die, because I'm pretty sure they get stabbed last. I think... Do they, they get stabbed last? I can't quite remember. Oh, no, I think they die first because yeah, it's all right, yeah. looking up. But they yeah. just die so quickly compared to, obviously, the main family, which, you know, they're somewhat prepared, they're cautious and, you know, wary, and then, like, the other family just dead within seconds. Yeah. Oh, one thing I, that I couldn't get into in the interview that I mentioned is this, which I thought I should answer for people. There's a bit where I say, I saw a thing after... In, so there's the tunnel opening, and you're like, that throws you for a loop because you're like, this didn't look like a film about tunnels when I saw it on the adverts. <laughs> and then suddenly it's that shot of the TV screen surrounded by different elements. And like, there's the right stuff and that's like American exceptionalism. So I guess that's like a thing. And they're all different references. One of those things is Chud, which yes. is uh, cannibal humans. 
uh, underground something. I can't remember. It stands right. for something ridiculous. Okay. And I've heard but ne- heard of but never seen Chud. But as soon as I saw Chud, I was like, surely they are not mole people, tunnel people coming up. Yeah. And they are. And that's like the most blatant Easter egg. It's fucking brilliant. Like, I love it. Like, he's just li- he's telling you the solution at the start. It's wicked. I really enjoyed it. It's an interesting play on the urban legend, which is the mole people. Yeah, yeah. And that was just really fun to see. Yeah, it's exciting. Like, it's... This is the thing. For, I know some of this has swayed towards negativity, but... I really enjoyed this film. I had a great time watching it. And no matter how much I'll pull it apart in my head afterwards, like the reaction to it, like from, it's a really good family comedy in some places. Like there are bits of this that genuinely feel like a good version of Are We There Yet? <laughs> like like fun little ticks and like observations on families going on a trip. And then the scene in the, the first scene in the house where they're being invaded is like one of the best house house invasion scenes I've seen for a long time the way it's filmed the long shots where it's like panning around as different things are happening in different yeah. places you you feel as surrounded as the family and then like the insane road trip <laughs> that happens for about half the film like it's really exciting and like propulsive filmmaking it's really interesting and like no matter how many problems I have with it I'm gonna watch it like three more times guaranteed yeah, I mean, because there's so much there yeah like for me as well it's just one of those films that I just need to watch it again just be- especially with subtitles on and director's commentary and behind the scenes all yeah. that kind of stuff just because I I want to find more answers as to how the tethered appeared because <laughs> I feel like I'm stuck up on that because I just dislike the thing when they they kind of give you half an answer but you don't get the entire thing. Yeah. Like, you know the weakness of, like, the Xenomorph or Dracula and stuff like that or, like, how they came to be and stuff. But when you get that kind of half answer, I would have much preferred it to be, like, they're just, you know, from, like, mm-hmm. an other world, something mm-hmm. like that, which is why it reminded me of Silent Hill, which was going down that escalator. Yeah. Too. I just, I just need concrete answers. I mean, even if there's nothing in, like, a director's commentary or a second sort of watch, the fact that it's... It's a really accomplished in terms of direction. Like obviously, yeah, yeah. this is you know one. Not Peel hasn't made that many films before. It's, mm. This is his second one, right? Yeah. So the fact that he's already a really accomplished horror director. Yeah. There are some sections kind of like really early on, which is just real close shots on Lupita's face. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of how Aronofsky shot Jennifer Lawrence uh, for Mother. Oh yeah. Exclamation mark. <laughs> um, but um, like all those kind of sequences and the way that he ratchets it up and then bursts it with kind of some of the choreography when like she's going around with that. Is it a fire poker that she's using? Yeah. For most yeah. Like some of that and the way that he like threads kind of the soundtrack through it and you get like the higher notes oh, with the strikes also just the um the, just it's a it's a simple thing but taking um get five on it yeah. from the start and turning <laughs> it into a full orchestral like mm-hmm. fucking horrible <laughs> dramatic track at the end for the fight is like as soon as i noticed what was happening because you're watching a fight initially so it's, it kind of bleeds through yeah. and suddenly you're just like wait a second <laughs> like, this is weird um, hopefully we'll have some of that in here because I know it's available on YouTube now um, that is an incredible track it's, it, like without a doubt it's a well made film there's also like shots that really stick in my mind there's a part when they are near the end of the film when they're in the classroom and um, Adelaide and Red are talking she's also in focus and then Adelaide's in the background you, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that was just like a it was it was like a really jarring shot. And it made me feel uncomfortable how close she was and just like the way she sounds as well. Yes, which I don't quite get. Why does she sound like that? So this is really interesting. With this other people will have heard this in the interview, but right. I'll help you out. Jesse. Okay, good. <laughs> um, he mentions that the original idea is that her voice would sound the the stage directions was that she would sound scratchy and like her voice hasn't been used in years. Right. So that the makes idea sense. is she's just never spoken since she was a child, yeah. and this is her communicating again for right. the first time which okay. I think is brilliant um, I mean that, that does make sense because I can imagine when she got swapped out she probably didn't want to talk at all obviously yeah. so she, I guess mm-hmm. either she was just really scared or just trying to blend in yeah to, exactly yeah. the hostile environment and such I love the um the, the recurring images between this and Get Out which are one he loves people crying while not blinking which is weird <laughs> like he's super into that and the other one is how scary it is when people looking are looking away. Like, a camera should, by all rights, always be looking at someone's face because that's where you look. Yeah. So the idea of entire shots where you never see their face. So there's the scene where we're meant to be empathising with uh, Adelaide, but she's just looking out of a window the entire time, <laughs> and it becomes... Re- like, I fully expected her to turn around and be evil or yeah. something <laughs> mad was happening. Because 
that's not normal filmmaking. Yeah. And he does the same thing with. Well, like, the situation's um, meant to make you feel uncomfortable because she's describing this terrible thing. Yeah. And you're just from the perspective of the dad. Yeah. Gabe, it's brilliant. It? Like it's such a it's such a neat little yeah. trick. And yeah, he does that same thing with. Um, uh, the woman who turns out to be the grandma and get out. You know, yeah. she, there's a lot of her facing away off looking in the wrong place and stuff like that. It's just, it's really nice little unsettling touches. He's very good at that. And I really hope, because this started off as his like second of the social thrillers that he was writing based on Get Out. Yeah. And he kind of escalated it into <laughs> full on balls out horror. Yeah. But I would love to see him try one of those again within this realm because I like this sort of building on a conspiracy idea into something very strange and like jarring would you still want that like same mix of horror and comedy i kind of want him to just ditch the comedy for one like yeah. i think he's great at it and but we know he's great at it yeah. and i'd love to see him focus on just something truly terrible because <laughs> like, was was gal only kind of funny at parts during the start of the film and at the end i, I don't Oh no, Rod! Rod's like the end of that film. Like I think the final line of that film is a joke. Oh right! Like it's really. <laughs> I'm watching it and enjoying the film entirely, but I can't quite remember if the ending was particularly funny. Oh, like Rod turns up escaping. And, and he's like full on like he said something like how, yeah. how did you find me? He's like TSA baby, and you're like <laughs> what? Like look at what's behind him! It's insane. Um, yeah, it's very odd that he 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 just seems to like, and that's well within his rights. He's yeah, brilliant at sure. it, but like. There's a, bit nice. of, there's a bit of me that's just like, try it. Just yeah. try it. I'd love to see what he Because what he writes, produces, and directs yeah. these films. So he's well within like the skill set of actually pumping out what would end up being a really good horror film. Yeah. We would hope. Also, 100% he wanted to star in this film because Gabe <laughs> is Jordan Peele. Like, yeah. he speaks like Jordan Peele. He does things like Jordan Peele does. Like, it's weird. Um, like, I, I love Winston Duke in it, but I don't know why it's not Jordan Peele playing yeah. the dad. It's very strange. Any final thoughts? I think we should wrap up. I just need to watch it again. Yeah. And just really delve into what actually happens at the end mm. with a notepad, most likely. <laughs> just for my own sanity. Yeah, I think me and Jesse kind of have it. We came, because we saw it together, came mm. out with very similar things. But yeah, I have a feeling it will... I really like to do it back to back with Get Out. Oh, yeah. Just to sort of cool. like see where the through threads are and stuff like that. That would be really cool. That would be good fun. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us for your first podcast. That's the right. first of many, I hope. <laughs> Unless you really fuck up. Like, it'd be mad if you weren't on anymore. Uh, Jesse, thank you as always. Thanks, Joe. I'm Joe Scrabbles, and obviously we're going to finish this with, off the top of my head, because we were talking about it earlier, a little snippet of Oxide Neutrinos Bound 4 De Reload. Classic. Uh, I don't know when it was from. I have no information about it, but here it is. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.